This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. One aspect about leadership legacy is the importance of developing your people. And today I want to give an example about how Jesus actually developed his people, because we can use those same lessons in business today. First of all, he had a small subset of men that he chose and that he trained. These were his 12 disciples, and he had an even smaller subset, a little group of three that he also developed even further. They went with him to even more private places and to the place where he was on the Mount of Transfiguration and had an encounter there. And they got to see his glory where the others didn't get a chance to see that. So he had his inner group and he also had the 12. Now, even though he had the 12 and he had the inner group, the core group with him, Peter, James, and John, He also still ministered to the masses as well. He still had messages for everyone, for all the people. He just wasn't as intimately connected with all of those people as he was with the smaller group. So what did he do with the 12? One of the things he did, of course, is that he taught them. He taught them all kinds of things from the scriptures that they needed to know, helping them understand how the prophecies were there, how they spoke about the Messiah, how they spoke about who was to come and what was the evidence. He talked about God's plan, you know, really from the beginning and so on. So there was a lot of teaching. He was a rabbi and he was called teacher. And so that was one of his functions was to teach. Now, the way he taught, he taught a lot by asking questions and getting them to think. He'd ask thought-provoking questions of them And then they would have to use their own minds to come up with the answers to them. And he would tell stories and he would use parables, you know, in order to give illustrations of the concepts that he was talking about. And even I think about the work that I do now with my clients, I'm often using metaphors or analogies or pictures with my clients as I'm talking to them. And it's whatever might even come to mind in the moment that exactly dovetails with the issue they're dealing with or what they're talking about that day. And Jesus was very masterful at actually doing that in the moment. He would think of the perfect parable, the perfect story, even in some difficult situations. I'm thinking of the time when the scribes and Pharisees had asked him whether or not he thought it was lawful to pay taxes to Caesar. That was a tough question. It was a trick question. And he gave them sort of a picture and an illustration to think about because they were waiting. They said, if he says, no, you shouldn't pay taxes to Caesar. Well, then, of course, he's going against the government and they could turn him in for that. And Caesar wouldn't be happy. But if he said you should pay taxes to Caesar, then most of the common people would be upset because they weren't happy that they were under Roman rule anyway. And that was already a problem. So he asked them to bring him a coin. They brought a coin. He said, whose likeness is on here? Whose picture is on this coin? And they said, Caesar. And he told them, 
Therefore, render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God what belongs to God. What a masterful answer that was. And so in this case, they asked him a question and he asked them a question right back. You know, And of course, they didn't answer because it was going to be challenging whichever way they answered. So he provided his own answer in that case to the question. So through this methodology of questions and stories and examples and parables and object lessons, he taught them. He also modeled what to do. So frequently when he was out healing the sick or casting demons out of people, he was showing his disciples his whole process about, you know, how does he live his life? How does all of this happen? And as they had a chance to observe and watch, then he would send them out for them to go do some ministry and to do some work when he wasn't present. And then they would come back, they would report on their experiences, they would raise questions and so on and ask him to weigh in on things that they didn't understand. So in one case, a man had a child who was possessed by a demon and the disciples couldn't cast that demon out. So the man brought the child to Jesus and said, well, I brought my son to you, but your disciples couldn't cast out the demon. And so Jesus, of course, effortlessly cast out the demon And the disciples were wondering, well, how come we couldn't do that? And he was telling them, this kind comes out only by prayer and fasting. So there were all kinds of levels of teaching and training that were necessary that he was sharing with them. He also spent time with them, a lot of time. He ate with them. He prayed with them. They did life together. And that's an important part of When you're a leader, you're not just totally separate and apart, if you will. The shepherd is right there with the sheep because you've got to engender the trust of the sheep. You've got to see where they're going. You've got to help to lead them and you've got to heal them from things that they get caught up in. And in order to do all of that, you've got to be right there in the midst of the sheep. So as a leader, you're going to be right there in the midst of your people, seeing what they need and living and doing life with them as well. So as an executive leader, you want to also focus your efforts. You may be an executive over thousands and thousands of people in your organization, and you won't have the opportunity to have the intimate knowledge of each one of those thousands and thousands of people who may be globally dispersed. However, your executive team That's the group that you can focus on to get to know them at a deeper and intimate level. You want to focus that effort and invest your time with that core group. And you want to develop them to do their own work. You're not going to be able to do the work for them, but you can give them the building blocks for success. You can make sure they have the tools for success and the knowledge and the information that may be required. As an executive, there are some pitfalls, and I run into this a lot, especially when I'm working with new CEOs, and that is trying to do the work of your executive team. And especially if you are a person who's come up through the ranks and you used to do those jobs before and in the past, and you have expertise, you have to remember your job is to develop them as leaders, not to do the hands-on work. You are a leader of leaders, a developer of people who are leaders of leaders. And in the organization, they are your hands and feet in the organization. And if your organization is large enough, your executive team, they're not even 
getting their hands dirty in the weeds because they don't have time. They have a huge span of control. An executive who reports to you may be in charge of a whole geographic area like Asia Pacific or Europe or the Middle East and Africa, whatever the, the geographic region is. So they're going to have to use the modeling that you do with them to also lead their leaders of leaders to go out and do the work. So as a coach, and I'm often telling my clients this as well, the coach does not get out on the playing field to play. The coach is there to coach the player, and the player is the one who actually gets on the field to do the job. That takes great discipline to be on the sidelines as a coach. Though you're not playing the game, the way you're resourcing the players is essential, and it's critical, and it's not optional, and you compromise that role if you try to get out there on the basketball court yourself. And of course, you'll be penalized and the team is not going to be successful because you are not supposed to be on the court. So just remember, those rules are in place for a reason in sports and they also apply to executive leadership as well. So I want to remind you that I am conducting interviews still with Christian executive leaders. So if you are a Christian executive, in a mid to large size company, and you work in a secular environment, not a Christian ministry necessarily, you're working in a place where it's not Christian by nature, and yet you are on a mission, a marketplace ministry for God, I would like to interview you about your leadership experiences, your challenges, aspirations, and so on. These interviews take about 30 minutes. So if you would like to participate, please send me an email at drkaren, D-R period, K-A-R-E-N, at transleadership.com. And today I'd like to end our segment with a reading from John, the 14th chapter, verses 12 through 13, because a lot of times we don't realize this. As leaders, we are preparing those who are under our leadership. We're preparing them to do more and to do greater things than we could do by ourselves and then we could do alone. And so this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. And he's saying, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also and greater works than these he will do because I go to my father and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan, for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.